There are so many different ways to write songs. So in this episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast, we are going to be talking about what I think is the single best way to write songs. Or put another way, how to write songs the best way. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adala. Honored that you would take some time out of your busy day to listen. For those of you on the podcast side of things, it has been a little bit. That's because I've been making some changes. And for those of you on the YouTube side, you probably are seeing what those changes are, which is... Well, one one of the changes, but one of the changes is that this is now going to be a video podcast and not just a regular podcast that's audio only. The vast majority of episodes out of like probably the 232 episodes we have now, um, I think like four to six of them, I did a video podcast way back in the day. Um, But the vast majority of them have been audio only. But from here on out, they should be video podcasts. If you didn't know, and some people don't know, so I'm just going to say it here. I sometimes get messages from people that are like, oh, I didn't realize that you had a YouTube channel. Or they'll say things like, it would be great if you did some of this as shorter form video content, to which I always say I do have a YouTube channel and have for a long time. So if you didn't know, if you're just a podcast listener, things on the podcast side aren't really going to change for you because it doesn't matter that technically I'm looking at a video camera talking now instead of not looking at a video camera. But If you didn't know, there is a YouTube channel that also has normal video content that is edited and is 10 minutes long on average. Some go to 15, 20 minutes, some are like six minutes, and then there's some YouTube shorts and things like that. But if you didn't know, now you know, it's also at Songwriter Theory. Everything I do for songwriting is under that name, if you didn't know. So in today's episode, we are talking about what I think is the single best way to write songs. Now, if you've been a listener for a while, you know I'm a big proponent of changing up how we start our songs. So I'm actually not a fan of always doing the exact same thing. I think it's good to have a bread and butter process that we go to time and time again, but I think it's also good to break outside of that sometimes so that we don't get stuck in a box. But this here is talking about what over-experimenting over a long time and doing songwriting a bunch of different ways, uh, some of which I would never do again or would be pretty hesitant to ever do again, and eventually finding what seems to get me the most consistent results, what process seems to get most of the time uh, a good song at the end of the process. And that's really what this is based on. And for each step that we talk about, I'll give a short reason why I think it's the step that you should do at that time. Uh, But anyway, it'll make more sense when we get into it. So let's just dive in. The first step to me is to improvise until you find an instrument part worthy of developing into a song. Now I'm going to do a whole video just on diving into the, the inherent problem that I see at this step. Uh, a lot of times that people don't do. But the important part of what I just said is find an instrument part worthy of developing into a song. So they don't put McDonald's anywhere, right? They don't just buy random properties and put McDonald's there. They find the right real estate, the right location, and then they put a McDonald's there. They don't just build McDonald's everywhere and then say, well, may the best McDonald's win. No, they put more time up front to make sure that they have McDonald's at a good location. Or maybe a better example would be, you know, authors will only develop a book from an idea that they think is worthy of developing into a book. Not every idea that an author has is worthy of developing into a book, which is why an author might write one book a year, but they might have 10 to 50 different book ideas every year, but not all of them are good enough to spend the time actually developing it into a book. And something that I say a lot that's connected to this is the, the idea of really just getting used to the idea that ideas are cheap. And the reason I say ideas are cheap is sometimes I think people just value ideas too much. And there's many different ways they value ideas too much. One side is sometimes people think, oh, it's a great idea. So the rest doesn't matter. Like, no, a great idea doesn't make great art. 
right? It's a helpful step to great art, but a great idea in and of itself has very little value. There's tons of great ideas out there. What brings value is actually making it, right? The idea of Amazon is brilliant and great. I bet a million people had that idea. It's, it's, but only one person, Jeff Bezos, went and actually did it, right? That's the thing that has the value. Having an idea has no value. We all have ideas. So that's one side of it. But I think the more important part of it is if every time we come up with a song idea, we're like, oh, let me go write a song. Well, look, not every idea we have is worthy of developing into a song. We want to have so many ideas that to us, an idea is is just like pennies, right? They're just everywhere. It's not the end of the world. We don't decide to just totally change what song we're working on because, oh, I have a new idea now. Like, okay, try to have something like t- at least 10 song ideas per song you write instead of making it so that every single idea you come up with is something that you spend time developing into a song. To go back to the author thing, you may or may not know what Nano Remo is. I think that's what it's called. It's basic. I think I want to say it's November. It doesn't really matter what month it is, but it's this concept for authors or people who want to be authors where the, the challenge is to write a book in a month, right? And really, realistically, what's going to come of that is that you're going to have a rough draft or a first draft of a book at the end of one month. Cool. It's usually meant as an exercise to get out of your own head and actually make something. That's usually what it's for. But imagine if our favorite authors did that and they decided, ah, who cares about the editing process? Uh, just every idea I have, I'm going to develop into a book. I'm going to just go ahead and write the book and then send it out. And that will be it. We'd have tons of garbage books that nobody would ever remember. That would be a giant mess because every time they had an idea, they'd just be like, oh, I'll write a book and just ship it out that way. But that's, that's not how it works, which, which, which leads me into, well, before we get into the second thing. Two tips on the idea side. If you're having trouble generating ideas, I'll give you two ways that have helped me a lot with generating ideas. One is to look at paintings or art. Google Images is a great free resource for this. Art inspiring other art is a great way to go. And unlike watching a TV show or reading a book or watching a movie, that takes a lot of time and you might not get an idea at the end of it. But Google Images, if you just search for like ocean art, or sad old man art or something, you you will get tons of results. And within five minutes, you might find a whole bunch of images that kind of inspire you a little bit. And that that might be a good basis for a song or might make you feel a certain emotion that you want to develop into a song. Another thing you can do is to take two words that don't usually go together and put them together. So just as a few examples, something like red ocean. Oceans are blue, right? So the the second I say red ocean or black ocean or white ocean, like oceans aren't that. They're blue, you know, green-ish sometimes. So if I said blue or green ocean, you probably wouldn't think that much of it. But white ocean, there's no such thing as a white ocean or red ocean or black ocean, at least not literally, right? So the second I say that, that probably makes you be like, huh, I wonder what a white ocean is. I wonder what a black ocean is. I wonder what a red ocean is. And sometimes that is a great way to come up with interesting symbolism or just an interesting idea that you can develop. I'm a big fan of coming up with a song title that you think that's a cool song title. I would want to listen to a song like that and then reverse engineering. Okay, what would that song be about? What would a song called Red Ocean be about? Other examples would be something like Floating Ocean. Oceans don't float, right? Things float on the ocean. Oceans themselves don't float. Or Ocean in the Sky. That's another... You know, how do you even visualize that? It's kind of an intriguing image. Merciful tyrant. Those two things don't go together, right? By definition, a tyrant can't be merciful, I want to say. Um, So immediately it's something kind of interesting. Or silent tornado. Tornadoes sound like trains. They're pretty loud. Uh, So a silent tornado is another thing where you have two things that don't quite go together. Easy way to think of this is sometimes use an adjective to describe a noun that normally would not describe that noun. Boom. That's another great way to just come up with ideas. So um, the, the reason why I think it's important to improvise, to go back to the main point here, 
to improvise until you find an instrument part worthy of developing into a song is I find that if you start with a vanilla chord progression, it's much harder to go back and write interesting instrumental parts that go along with your vanilla chord progression than it is to just start by improvising until you find a part that is relatively interesting. Once you have a basic boring chord progression, like once you have that, right? Uh, it, you can like figure out a baseline that goes into that that is interesting, but it's way easier to just improvise bass lines until you come up with a sweet baseline and build a song off of that than it is to put yourself kind of in a corner where you started with this really vanilla chord progression and then you're like, let me try to make the music interesting later. And and to go back to the author thing, right? It's, it, you know, if a lot of books are are driven by one of two things. And a lot of them start with either a character idea or a character-driven book or movie or plot-driven. Another way you can see plot-driven is often that's for like high-concept things like sci-fi or fantasy. So for example, Dune, the book or movie, right? That idea probably came from what would it be like if there was a universe where humans had this whole, you know, just different humanity. It's just a very different humanity. And the whole book kind of comes from that, right? Or Jurassic Park. Hey, what if what if humans had a company and like remade dinosaurs? What would happen? Or Star Wars. What if there were space wizards uh, who had lights, lightsabers uh, or laser swords? And I guess we'll call them lightsabers. Um, or, or 1984, right? Is it, you don't when you think of all these things, you don't really think about the characters. Star Wars maybe a little bit more, uh, just because it's so famous at this point. But if you think of Lord of the Rings, nineteen eighty four, Hunger Games, Jurassic Park, Dune, the first things that come to mind usually are the world building, the the plot of it, um, not the characters. And that's probably because that that was the original idea, right? It's not like. George Lucas came up with this idea for Luke Star Luke Starkiller was originally what it was called uh, Luke Skywalker, and it was like, hey, let me write it write a story about this Luke Skywalker guy. And oh, wouldn't it be cool if he was like in space and there were space wizards? No, no, no. Obviously, he started with the space wizard, the Force, that whole thing. Came up with the universe and then figured out a story to insert into the universe. Versus character-driven stuff like The Old Man and the Sea or The Great Gatsby or East of Eden or To Kill a Mockingbird, where clearly it's primarily about the characters and, you know, the setting and the plot is kind of secondary to the characters themselves. To take The Old Man and the Sea, it's a pretty extreme example because the plot is literally a guy goes out fishing, has a hard time, and comes back home. Like, that's the plot. It's very plot sparse, but it's the character is everything in that book. And it's a short book too, but anyway, with all these things, the author would have come up with an idea that was worthy of developing into a song before they just started writing. They don't just think like, oh, I guess I'll have a character who's named Joseph who gives a crap. And uh, yeah, let me, let me just write a story about him. I know nothing about him. There's nothing particularly interesting about his character there's nothing particularly interesting about the world, but I'm just going to develop that into a story anyway. No, no, no. You got to have something w worthy of sinking your teeth into, whether that's like the universe of Star Wars or the character from The Great Gatsby and then working from there. And our equivalent of that is the first thing you should come up with shouldn't be a pedestrian chord progression, that same old, but come up with an, just an interesting part. And it doesn't have to be like super complex, right? Interesting can be very simple. It very often is, but just something a little bit more interesting than a stock chord progression. It's one of the most common piece of advice I see out there is like, oh, start with a stock chord progression. And I even did a video recently where I said, hey, look, if it's your first song or one of your first songs, then actually that is a great way to start a song because it's the easiest way to start a song. But when you're a more seasoned songwriter, it becomes a more and more not great way to start a song, in my opinion. It's just, it just seems silly to me that like the foundation of your song, you would start with something that is mid or uninteresting, right? Why would you start your song, have the foundation of your song 
be already something that's just same old, same old? Wouldn't you rather start with like a cool little bass line or an interesting piano riff or a nice finger picking pattern on the guitar? Seems like a better foundation to build your song off of. Anyway. So improvise with an instrument of your choice and try to come up with an interesting instrument part. That could be a bass line. That could be a piano part. That could be, uh, you know, a, a guitar hook or a guitar finger picking pattern or it can be picking with a pick. It could be a flute part. It doesn't matter. But find something instrumentally that you think it's this is kind of interesting, whether it's the sound that's interesting or inherently the the part itself that's interesting and then figure out. Okay, now what's my next step? I, this this is an idea that's intriguing enough and worthy enough to actually build out into a song. And then from there, iterate on that thing you wrote and or edit that instrument part to take it from something that works to something good. And this is going to be one of the really important takeaways here. So... I also do software development. Some of some of you know that if, if you've been a long, long time listener. And something I, I always say to the younger developers on the team, especially when they're asking me, hey, how do I get promoted from an associate developer to a mid-level developer? Which is basically somebody who just graduated college, the position that that person is in, and then what you usually get promoted to a couple of years out of college. And to me, it all comes down to this. And don't worry, it connects back to songwriting. I tell them... To me, the main one difference between an associate developer and a mid-level developer is an associate developer writes working code and a mid-level developer writes good code. It's your job as a software developer to write working code. You don't get a medal for writing working code. That's literally what you do. That's the bare minimum of what you do, right? That's like a construction worker being able to build a building that stands up. Like that, that's a bare minimum that you don't get a medal for that. You're not a good contractor for that. That is a bare minimum standard that you have to achieve. So to get good at software development or songwriting or anything, any craft is when you're no longer thinking about whether something works or not, but instead you have a higher standard for yourself and a higher standard for what you're making and say, no, I want to find something that's good. So the biggest difference between a novice and a seasoned songwriter to me, or one of the big differences, is that a novice concentrates on, oh my goodness, I finally came up with something that works. Whereas a seasoned songwriter is like, okay, I found something that works. Now let me come up with five or 10 different ones. Let's say it's a melody, right? So you came up with your piano part. You really like that. You think, okay, let's build a song off of that. Now you figured out a melody which we'll talk about more in a little bit. But do you, A, just say, oh, this melody works, let me move on? Or B, do you say, okay, I found a melody that works, let me try to write five to 10 more melodies and see if I can one-up the melody I just wrote. And then when I write, say, 10 different melodies over that same instrument part or chord progression, then say to myself, okay, now let me take that melody and edit it. Let me see, oh, what if I change this one note in the melody? Move it up a little bit. Move it down a little bit. Make, make it so that I hold the note for longer or for shorter. Change up the rhythm a little bit and try editing it. So you take something that is that works and then you don't say, okay, that's good enough. I'm just going to move on. Because if you do that, you're just going to have layers and layers of parts that just like they all work. But if, you, if, if every time you come up, the first thing you find that's like, yeah, that works – you commit to that idea, you're just going to have like, you, you, you'll write a ton of songs and you'll write faster, but this statistically, they're all going to be forgettable, right? Because every time you just committed to the first thing that worked and we should be trying instead to come up with something good. And to go back to the NaNoWriMo thing, you know, that if our authors really did do the whole you know, I'm just I'm just going to write a book that works. I'm just going to blow through it in a month and I'm going to pump out 12 books a year. Like, well, they would all be garbage books that nobody would want to read. Right. But they don't do that. They do something like one book every one to two years. Some of the more prolific, maybe one book every six months. Uh, the really crazy ones sometimes will do like 
two books within six months. Um, but most of that process is editing. Most of that, most of the writing process is editing. And this is maybe the, the big point I want to make in this section, because just as a reminder, we improvised until we found an instrument part that's worthy of developing into a song. We found a baseline finally that we think that's a killer baseline. I want to develop that into a song. This next step is that we are iterating on, which means we play it over and over again, changing something slightly, just trying, exploring different things, or we are editing, maybe note by note, trying like, all right, if we, I like this baseline, but if we change this one note, move it up a little bit, move it down a little bit. Did I make it better? Did I make it worse? Was the original better? Okay, stick with the original. That's fine. But we're trying to edit the thing that's already good or that works and and edit it into something good or we take something that's good and edit it perhaps into something great every other writer understands that editing is a massive part of the writing process massive part of the writing process you know an author probably could pump out 12 books a year if it wasn't for the editing process and also the processes before writing where they're sort of outlining the plot of the book and all that sort of thing you know Poets would write way more poems if it wasn't for the editing process. Anybody who writes essays or articles or journalists or any editing is always the thing that will almost certainly take way longer than creating. The same thing's true for videos. Whenever I have a YouTube video up, the it took me way longer to edit that video than it did to sit down and record it. So you see, you know, a 10-minute final video and and, you know, the original recording was probably 20 minutes and the editing might have been two hours, sometimes four hours, sometimes six hours. So editing is almost always the thing that will have the biggest influence on whether what you made is good or not. And my composition teacher in college used to have this phrase, very simple, easy to remember. And it's writing is editing. He would just say writing is editing which is really just a shorthand way of saying that most of the quality of the writing you do is created in the editing process, not in the writing process. Or put another way, stop overemphasizing the quality of your first draft and just understand that your first draft of almost anything, the first thing you come up with for almost anything is going to be pedestrian at best, usually bad, and just know going into this that the editing process is where you're going to take what you came up with and refine it into gold, refine it into something that is really great. And it seems to me that the only type of writer that I'm aware of that seems to have forgotten this is the songwriting community. And I don't know why. It's just this weird, I have I have a theory as to why, and I'll probably do a video about this, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. My theory is that most songwriters are musicians at heart and not writers at heart, despite the fact that the name is songwriter. Um, and musicians have a very improvisation, just go with the flow man kind of attitude by nature, even like jazz, right? You kind of write on the spot, you improvise. But to write something, to write something really awesome takes editing. It takes editing. And I get that, like, if you come from a music background, you're not used to the strenuous process of editing and reworking the lyrics and reworking the melody and reworking all these things until you just make them a little bit better, a little bit better until you finally have something really good. But that's writing. Like that's the, the best way to have something good is to edit. And if you never edit, you'll probably write more stuff, but almost certainly it will all be way worse than it would be otherwise. So instead of having Fewer songs that are like nine out of 10, those things are just baller. You might just write song that is like six out of 10, six out of 10, five out of 10, five out of 10, over and over again. And say, why are all my songs kind of, well, because you don't edit, because you don't edit. Um, so, so, so why, why this step, right? Why take the time to edit? Overall, it comes down to if you write until you find something that works, the likelihood the first thing that works was even close to the best you would have come up with or the best that, you know, that instrument part could have been is incredibly low, right? Because you just wrote until you found something that works. The probability that if you if if you had tried editing it or tried 
maybe just iterating on it to see if you could come up with something better that, you know, if you did that for two hours, you wouldn't have made any tweaks that would have made it better is very low. Like almost certainly you would have. And little changes can go a long way. But if we don't even try to make those changes and we just say, oh, good enough, uh, then, you know, we're going to be stuck with a bunch of songs that are kind of forgettable, probably. And if you keep piling on stuff that works, that at every step of the process, you're like, oh, that works. Let me move on. Oh, that works. And move on. The probability that you're going to come up with something great is even lower because you might get lucky and the first chorus melody that you come up with is actually pretty killer. Awesome. But because you did that to everything across the board, probably every other part of your song is not going to be the best it could have been. So your verse melody kind of falls flat. Your bass line isn't very good. Your bridge is overall just kind of there. It exists. And you wonder why, but it, again, it probably comes down to, well, you just kind of got lucky on the chorus and then didn't put in the work for the rest of the song or for the chorus. But again, just got lucky on the chorus part. So the next step is to record the instrument part. This is a short one. And record it even if it's just on your phone. Now, it's most ideal if you record it into a DAW, um, but this one we don't really need to dive into, so we can go straight into the why, because I don't think I need to explain what recording means. The first reason why is it allows you to simply listen back to what you already wrote as you start to improvise and write the next instrument part, which, or in our case, is going to be the melody, because we've come up with, let's say it's a piano riff. So something like that, right? So we have that. We're like, okay, cool. That's cool. Whatever. Um, hopefully we worked on it a little bit, see if we can make it a little better. And the next thing that we're going to try to figure out is a good melody to go on top of that. It's way easier for me to record that thing I just did, even if it's just on my phone, and then to listen back on my phone or on my computer. And my brain just has to concentrate on coming up with a melody. My brain doesn't have to think about playing this while improvising a new melody, right? I can just barely continue talking while I'm doing this because a little part of my brain has to be thinking about doing that, right? Has to be thinking about playing it. So even to talk to you is just a little bit more of a struggle than me talking to you normally, much less trying to improvise a melody with my voice that's going to be good because so much of my brain is just thinking about playing it. So take that away, make it easier on yourself and, and record it. And then listen back and improvise your melody. Another great benefit of this is it allows you to use the same instrument that you used. So in this case, piano, right? I wrote a piano riff. We'll just stick with this. We'll just stick with that for the sake because I just happen to play that for the... So we're sticking with that. Um, so let's say that's our piano part. I would have to improvise the melody with my voice if I didn't record this, right? Because while I'm playing this, what's the only other thing I can do? I can just sing. I can't play. I can't play this, and pl also play the melody with another or with a guitar. I can't do that, right? But if I just record this, then I can actually come back to the keyboard and just improvise a melody with the keyboard while listening back to that. Which I can't play that back because we're recording a podcast. But let's just say it's playing, and I can just mess around with. Whatever. That probably doesn't go at all because I'm not listening back. The point is, I could use my keyboard again to improvise the melody, to work on the melody, rather than only being able to utilize my voice, which is also something very important because don't take for granted that your best melody writing tool is necessarily your voice. In my case, I definitely write better melodies with the keyboard than I do with my voice. There's a bunch of reasons for this. I've done videos and podcasts about it, so we're not going to dive too deep. But the short version is your voice is usually going to just like do what's comfortable and nobody likes singing off pitch. So it's usually going to do a very safe melody. So you'll end up with a melody that's super basic, like... Something like that, right? Which is just boring, frankly. But with, and, and not always, right? Sometimes it's fine. 
But with the keyboard, it's just really easy to take bigger risks and do leaps and, you know. You're probably not going to improvise that with your voice, right? That was a big leap. Usually we just kind of default to what's comfortable for our voice and all that. Uh, but big leaps is often where you have really interesting melodies. Uh, we talked about that in depth when I talked about Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On in a recent YouTube video. I know I'm mentioning a lot of videos in this one. But anyway, so record the instrument part because that's going to make our next step way easier. Even if you just take out the free recording app on your phone or some old tape cassette recorder, it doesn't matter. Uh, even better if you do it onto your computer into your DAW because then it also allows you to reduce the friction to having recordings of your song because as you're writing your song, you're recording your song, which makes it a lot easier. So that brings us into our next step. So we have an uh, instrument part that we thought this is worthy of developing into a song, and then we took some time to edit it a little bit, tweak it, iterate on it, try to make it something a little bit more interesting. So we are not just committing to, oh, I'm going to pick a stock chord progression and then try to write a song from there. No, instead we're trying to come up with something that at least has something a little bit more interesting to it. And now we're improvising melodies, right? So we have our instrument part, we're listening back to it because we recorded it, and now we're improvising our melody until we discover something really good. And then, of course, we're going to edit it as well. We're not going to talk through the details of that because the, the concept's the same, right? You write it, you improvise it, you're just playing around. All right, so let's say that's the first thing you come up with. That works. I know we don't have a chord progression, so who knows, but that works, we say. So cool. Now try different melodies. See if you can one-up that melody. It shouldn't be hard to one-up that melody because it's pretty uh, pedestrian, right? It's the first thing I come up with, so it's probably not that great. Um, so try different things, right? And maybe you one-up it and then work on editing it. Work on, ah, what if I move this one note? What if I throw a leap in there instead of all steps? What if I take the leap that I have, and instead of leaping up, I leap down instead. And this is going to be so much easier because we are not forcing ourselves to play something that we just wrote or even something that we didn't just write and also improvise at the same time. Don't force yourself to play and improvise. Listen back to your recording, so all you have to do is sit and listen. Just just listen back to what you already wrote as if you didn't write it, right? It's almost as if somebody else wrote the instrument part for you and now you're just trying to figure out the melody. That's going to be easier on you even if you do find that it's better for you to improvise your melodies with your voice. If that's the best way for you to write your melodies, great. Um, but even better if you're somebody like me who eventually found, hey, I actually write better melodies with the piano than I do with my voice. By the way, if you're a really good guitarist and you can solo like nobody's business, or even just you're a solid soloer, but you think you're not very good at uh, singing, it might be the case that the guitar is actually a good instrument for you to write your melodies with. Or maybe, you know, you just started picking up the guitar. You're not really much of a singer, you don't think, uh, but you were really good at the flute. You were a second chair flute in your high school and it's collecting dust in the closet. Hey, bring that flute out because you're really used to playing melodies with the flute. So you might actually find that you're better at writing vocal melodies right now with your flute than you are with your voice. Just some things to consider. So again, with the melody, don't be satisfied with something good. Iterate on it. See if you can one-up it. Edit it. Change one note. See if you made it better. Then change the note back. If it didn't make it better, think of it like the eye test. If you've ever been to the eye doctor and they say number one or number two, you're like number two. I'm like, okay, number two or number three. Think of it like that, but with melodies you're coming up with. Come up with a melody. Come up with another melody. Which one's better? A, B, test it. Then keep the one that's better and then write a third melody. What's better? Melody one that you kept or melody three? All right, now melody three is better. So what's better, melody three or melody four that you just write? Then at this point, you now have your instrument part that you thought this is worthy of developing into a song. It's a cool bass line, sweet guitar riff, beautiful piano part, whatever it might be. Then 
you iterated on it, you edited it, you recorded it after you did all that. Then you came up with a melody, also edited that and all that. So now you have an instrument part that you really think is pretty cool and a melody that you think is really good. So now you have to, you basically have a song section, right? Because you have the pairing of an instrument part and a melody. So now you try to figure out, okay, what song section is this? And a hint that it might be your verse is if the vocal melody is relatively low and it's not super high energy, that might be a hint that it's your verse. But if it feels like this is the main point of the song and this section feels huge and you're belting high notes, it's probably the chorus. If it's in between, it might be a bridge. Most of the time, the first section that people write will either be the verse or the chorus. It's not always, but usually it's going to be one of those two. And if you don't know what song section, what you just wrote, if you don't know what song section it is, that's fine too. You can just write another song section in the same key and then figure out, okay, between these two song sections, which one sounds more like it would be a chorus versus a verse? That's another way to go. And I don't want to concentrate too much on this because I don't want this podcast to last literally forever because this is a pretty big subject we're talking about today and it's probably already going to be a long one. Um, But the basic idea is what we have so far is what we need to repeat until we have all our song sections, all our music written out, right? So... It's going to be that process over and over. Instrument part that's worthy of developing. Then we have melody that we come up with on top of that. Instrument part or chord progression or whatever it might be. And we do that until we have all our song sections. Now, of note, I do think that sometime, at some point, sometimes it's better to shift to maybe you start your song with a piano riff or something that you think, okay, this is an interesting riff to build my song off of. Then you come up with a melody on top of that. And then you actually come up with the melody first for your other song section. So a lot of times I'll do something where I'll come up with the verse piano riff first, because I think if there's anywhere that you want a killer piano riff or guitar part, I'm of the opinion the verse is the place to do it because your chorus is going to be exciting. And frankly, any one instrument part is usually going to be buried anyway, uh, because usually it's all these guitars and it's a big song section. Right. So usually where the one instrument really matters, where people are listening to one instrument part besides the vocal is usually in the verse. So personally, I think if you're going to have a killer guitar riff or piano riff or bass line, usually the best place to have that is going to be in your verses because your chorus is going to shine because it's the central idea of the song, because your melody is hopefully going to be super killer And because all the guitars come in and all the different instruments come in and the song just gets bigger and more exciting, that's what makes your chorus. Nobody's paying attention to how interesting your buried piano part is in the chorus. Of course, there are exceptions to this. This is just a general rule. You don't even have to agree with it, but this is how I see things. So usually when I write a piano riff or something, it's meant to be for a verse. So so it starts with piano riff. That often is going to be for a verse. And then the melody for the verse. And then sometimes I'll skip right to the melody of the chorus because of course melody is more important in my opinion than the instrument parts of the chorus. So sometimes it just makes sense for me to do that first. Basic idea is doesn't really matter the order here. I don't think, I do think that if you're going to choose The first thing you should start with in your song is one of two things, either what we talked about here, which is an interesting instrument part, or if you came up with a chorus melody first, that would be another great way to start your song. There are tons of ways to start your song, but if if you're going to pick the best one of all, I think it'd probably be one of those two. But at this point, We've repeated that process until we've built out all our song sections. All our song sections are probably going to be in the same key. So if our first one was in C major like this, this is C major, right? So from there, it's like, okay, well, I need to write another song section that is also in C major. But if I think that's the verse, I know that the vocal melody should probably move up for the chorus, which is probably the song section that I'm writing next. So last is lyrics. And I want to talk about this for a second because a thing I've found over time, you may or may not have heard me talk about how songwriting is a funnel, 
And I stand by songwriting being a funnel. But now I've come to a more precise view of how songwriting is a funnel. Because always I notice the one exception to the general rule I had, which is the thing I think is most important I should try to put earlier in the song. I should try to write what I think is most important first. So if I want to write a song with a killer bass line, I should write the bass line first. If I want to write a song with a killer piano riff, I should write the piano riff first. Don't write a chord progression for a song if first if your goal is to have a killer bass line, right? Because it's just going to be harder to write a killer bass line now that you've already restricted yourself to this chord progression. Figure out the bass line first and build the whole song off of the killer bass line. And the idea of songwriting as a funnel is you have the most creative room at the top. Because right now, as I'm sitting by this keyboard, if I have nothing written yet, I I could be, pick any key, any tempo, any time signature. I, I have no limits, right? But every instrument part I write become makes this, it, my choices more and more limited. Think of it like, you know, if you have a whole song already written and most of its arrangement done, to then come in and come up with a, a really interesting guitar part is usually going to be a lot harder than if you just have the freedom to just come up with a sweet guitar part and you don't have to think about, oh, but does it fit with this chord? And, oh, does the rhythm really work with the other rhythms that are going on in this song? So start with a thing that is most important to you in that one song. But lyrics are the exception to this, I think. And... I think it's because writing of music is very all interconnected and then writing of lyrics is connected to the melody, but besides the melody is very disconnected from the rest of just the writing process because writing words and writing music is just very different. Now, songwriters, we have to do both. We have to marry the two and have it so that all of it feels like it's talking about the same thing, the music, the chord progression, the bass line, the melody, and the lyrics are all in agreement on what is this song about? What is the vibe of this song? But allow your music to inspire your lyrics. At this point, usually I finish all of the music of a song, or at least the music, meaning the basic instrument part and or chord progression of the verse and the chorus and the melody of the verse and the chorus at the very least usually even the bridge and whatever other song sections I have. But at the very least, I have the verse and chorus done musically before I start writing lyrics. And this really comes down to, I, j I just think it's easier to listen to music and have that inspire you in a specific lyrical direction than the other way around. To me, when you read a piece of poetry, to translate that into, well, what would the music be for this? I just think it's harder. Um... And you may not find that's the case for you, in which case, ignore this, right? Maybe write the lyrics first. Um, but as somebody who cares deeply about lyrics, I care so much about lyrics, I started to notice that a lot of my favorite artists who also care deeply about lyrics, because I probably wouldn't even like them as artists if they didn't care deeply about lyrics, but I noticed that, man, they all say they start with the music first, and it helps to inspire the lyrics. And then they just spend a lot of time on the lyrics, and that's how they get the lyrics right. And I found in my experience as well that, man, it, lyrics just comes down to time. So lyrics are going to take a long time, whether you write them first or last, if you care about good lyrics. If you don't care about good lyrics, then you can probably write them in 10 minutes and be fine. But if you care about a really good lyric, that's probably going to take more time than any other step of the songwriting process. And that's going to be true whether you do it at the end of the process or at the beginning. The only difference is it's going to be easier to have a more cohesive song that all feels like it's talking about the same thing. If you have all your music written and now the final piece is okay, all this music that I wrote and composed, what does it sound like it's about? It's like listening to a classical piece. Uh, obviously, it's probably going to be more simplistic than that, but but it's like listening to a classical piece with no lyrics and, and the way it just makes you feel something, you're like, oh, I, I can just, this song feels like it would be walking alone through a cornfield in the rain after you escaped prison from a crime you didn't commit. I just watched Shawshank Redemption. I don't know. Uh, there was no cornfield, but most of that was Shawshank Redemption inspired. doesn't matter, right? You can like picture that just based on listening to the music. 
that can be a really helpful way to make the lyric writing process a little bit easier and to make it so that every part of your song is as cohesive as possible, which really is the main reason that I've settled on this sort of process is to me how I would at its most simple define a good song is a song that is highly cohesive. So every bit of the song feels like it's talking about the same thing to the extent that if you removed the lyrics and you just listened to the music and you didn't even know what the lyrics were, the main idea of the lyrics, not the precise idea, but the main emotion of the lyrics you would hear just from the music. You could tell somebody, oh, I think this is a song that's wistful for for someone that you lost or something. And then you see the lyrics and you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it's about. That to me is a marker of a, a great song. Not always. Sometimes you want to sort of go for the ironic. It, it, it sounds happy, but so I juxtapose the happy sounding music with this really sarcastic, angry. Yeah, sometimes that's great too. But for most songs, I think what you want is that it feels like the lyrics, the melody, and the instrumental parts couldn't live without each other. They just all belong together. It's like a marriage that just obviously works where you meet, you see two people and you're like, oh, of course they'll work out because they just seem like such a good fit. That's what you want in your song to not feel like, oh, well, I feel like they kind of just threw the lyrics in there. It doesn't really go with the melody and the melody fits well enough with the music, but it's all just kind of like, eh. a great song usually comes down to a perfect marriage between all the different parts. So we're not going to dive deep into the lyric writing process because um, that would just take way too long. And this is already a very long episode. but. Now that you've written most of the music for your song or all the music for your song, the question is, do you already have a lyric idea that would fit with this music? And if not, uh, what does a song sound like it would be about? And hopefully if you take my advice and you always have like a pool of lyric ideas, you can just l- look through those lyric ideas and be like, oh, I already have a, had a lyric idea that actually fits with this music really well. But sometimes you won't have that. And then you just sit there and just listen. What does it feel like this song was about? If some other music music composer came up with this and I were left to my own imagination as to what I think that music composer was trying to communicate with the song, what would it be? Uh, I find sometimes it's helpful to pretend like the music already has a meaning and you're just trying to find what the meaning is. That's obviously not true. You get to define the meaning. You're writing it. Um, but just pretending that sometimes I think is, is helpful. Um, so lyric writing is its own process. If you're interested in the six step lyric writing process, I go through, be sure to check it out at songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist, totally free. Uh, so that fleshes that out in detail, but at a high level, it's have a list of ideas you're always adding to just always have a list of lyrical ideas. Um, I use Google docs for that. I have a single Google doc where I just put all my different song ideas, then develop an idea out before you try to write the lyrics. Think about this as, you know, find images or art that inspires you and makes you feel the same way you want your lyric to feel or tells the same story that you want your lyric to tell. Do some prose writing, which is just basic English to flesh out the ideas without the pressure of meter and rhyme, because a lot of times that's why we freeze up when we stare at a blank document. We just say improvise poetry, but that's a huge thing to ask of ourselves. Huge. Uh, That's not easy to just improvise poetry. Most people can't do that. Uh, Almost almost all of us can't do that, frankly. Um, And and the good news is we don't have to do that, right? We can start by just writing in prose. Something I find helpful, if we kind of have an idea of the story of the main character of our song, which very often will be us ourselves, literally just like do a journal entry first, right? Just, Just write. Don't think about meter and rhyme and lines and they have to, no, just write. Uh, and then you'll often find that you will come up with some great ideas. And, and a lot of times just from that writing session, if you spend 20 minutes just journaling, just doing prose writing, you'll find, hey, I came up with some sweet lines that I can use word for word in my song or very similar version in our, our song. Maybe you have to tweak a few things. Um And you came up with it just because you relieved yourself of the pressure of writing things in perfect meter and rhyme. Then uh, I have a general like 10 to one rule. The idea is 
when writing lyrics for your song, if your song lyrics are eventually going to take about one page, write 10 pages worth of lyrics to get to the one page. Don't think of it like a first draft of an essay you wrote in college where they said, hey, we need a three-page essay. So you wrote three pages in your first draft. Instead, write 30 pages to get down to three or something like that. Um, So try to write 10 pages worth of lyrics, give or take, because most lyrics are going to end up being about one page. Uh, Then arrange the lyrics, which is really just figure out, okay, what of these different bridges I wrote, different bridge lyrics I wrote, which one is the best? Which one's the the closest to what I want to say? Or also saying like, okay, when I was writing this, I kind of thought this was going to be the verse lyrics, but actually I think this would work better as chorus lyrics. And then from there is iterative lyric editing, which is really just taking each song section and making it better one step at a time. Make one word better. Make one phrase better. Make one line a little bit better. Remove a line that is kind of redundant and put in a different line instead. It's really just concentrating on the details. And then finally, lyric polishing, which is not really an active process. It's really just staying open-minded that, you know, if as you're singing the song or recording the song, you're like, ah, this lyric's not quite working. You just stay open to changing it is really what that is. So at a high level, those are the steps, but be sure to check out songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist for more. I know this was a long episode for those of you on YouTube thinking, oh my gosh, is it usually this long? No, it's not. And... I don't know, maybe it's usually better too. It's kind of weird going back to talking to a camera. It does make it kind of harder, which if I'm being honest is why I tried it for a little bit and then went back to audio only. I just felt like I did better when it was audio only, but you know what? I got to get better at it. Uh, So here we are. My apologies if this was slightly more rough than usual because I had to think about looking at a camera once in a while. But hopefully this was helpful to you. And if it was, again, be sure to check out my songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist guide. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I'll talk to you in the next one.